1: All righty guys, welcome mm-hmm. to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, part two of two of our yes. recap. Yep. So, last episode was personal picks that we didn't necessarily believe in enough to bring to the pod. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're going over pod picks from the last year. Stuff that we have from our mouth to your ears said we believe in. And we are looking back at them basically as a way for us to hold ourselves accountable to you, the listener, viewer, however you consume the podcast. So, yes. Without further ado, let's take it away. Yep.
0: So we're going to kind of step through this in three uh, very broad ideas. And it took me a little while to kind of coalesce my picks down because a lot of them were cycling around enchantments, like everybody knows, or just big dumb green things, and then the rest of it was just kind of scattered shot. But it wasn't until you and I talked uh, before the last episode that I was able to kind of hone it in. And uh, I was able to like shoehorn some of my picks under... Uh, your thoughts which are are great because it made it a lot easier for me to kind of not stress over these you know 40 some individual picks and try and find like the best grouping and so the first one on the list is both reserve list and kind of casual appeal so for me this this first card is sanguine bond and It doesn't parallel the reserve list, but it does parallel the casual appeal in the sense that that it's never not going to be sought after by casual players. And we can see this in the the stocks graph. Um, That's the 2014, I'll pull up 2010, and it'll look basically the same. It's just gonna be uh, pretty much a rope uh, with some upticks here and there. And this is a card that it's just very easy to believe in. I mentioned it in the last part of the cast that it doesn't matter what they do, this card is never going away. Uh, just like the other half of it, Exquisite Blood, you need both of them to just combo out infinitely and be super redundant with this. And the reason I, I wanted to bring this up is because this is an example of a card that, while I do believe still has legs, doesn't really fit with how I look at a lot of what I want to be doing with my picks. And that's that this is better to out to players in person than buy list just based on the historical numbers. Because while we do see the market trend on this card kind of playing around, it goes up, it goes down. Buy list doesn't change that often. And if you were to buy in at any point in time when the market swings down, you're not going to be able to really out to buy list well. So your out is basically the and you know, in trade in person or back out into the open market. And so uh, that last little bit is going to be something that we kind of see along the lines for me. Uh, these were picks that I made that I believed in from the casual appeal, which is still correct. Uh, my timeline on them, uh, definitely wrong because I think Sanguine Bond was an early in the year pick and were probably well at the end of my window. But if you had picked this up to trade, you would have done really well. But if you pick this up to out the buy list, that's where the shortcoming is.
1: Yeah, I, I something that we harp on in all of our picks has always been the casual appeal, the appeal to the invisibles, stuff like that. And then the other thing is the reserve list, which, of course, my pick uh, that I identified that kind of fit those criteria was Tika's Dragon. So on the date I picked it, uh, which was February, market was about six ninety one. Mm-hmm. Stocks graph now. We're at 7.48. That means market went up 49 cents. Great. Uh, this was something that when I picked it, I kind of decided. You know, this is a card that it it's susceptible to reserve list manipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing we haven't seen over the last year or so is that kind of reserve list manipulation that we're used to. Uh, There hasn't been a whole lot of buyouts of, let's say, glacial crevasses and turn it into something stupid. Uh, That kind of stuff just hasn't happened as much over the last year. And I don't know if it's, you know, it's it's certainly a little bit of people just getting a little smarter. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I think it's also people just positioning their money elsewhere. Yeah, Uh, I think all of your memesters probably lost their load on GME uh, and kind of just backed off. Uh, but this does kind of belie a point that we've harped on a lot, which is the reserve list is always a solid investment. Uh, this card hasn't lost. I, it, you know, it didn't gain very much, mm-hmm. but it didn't lose either. No. I mean, at the time I picked it, low on TCG was $3, and low right now is three seventy. So it's gained on the low end as well. Mm-hmm. So it definitely harkens to that point of, hey, this is something that you we kind of want to look at. Now, in terms of timeline, I know originally I had actually cited this is kind of our time to out. Yeah, um, Because I figured usually around the holidays, we'll get a lower end manipulation on the reserve list. We'll see stuff like Pendrel Mists or crevasses or Hall of Mists or stuff like that kind of start to go wonky because people hit him with a buyout or something because it doesn't take a lot to Mm -hmm. push buy numbers and that's kind of you know weird really uh i mean part of it probably has to do with yet again no paper eternal weekend and obviously we're off the all-time high for this card when it was bought out during the pandemic and then it's sort of fallen off since Uh, but this does also have that casual appeal of being a dragon People love big, dumb dragons, and this is a big, dumb dragon that goes in every big, dumb dragon deck. Mm-hmm. It also has Rampage 4, which is just a dumb ability. Don't read what it does. You'll never need to know it. It's irrelevant. But uh, it's just something that, you know, I, I was a little surprised that we didn't see the kind of manipulation that we had. Uh, something that I think you and I talked about was how Fork suddenly got hit, and that was like the low end of the staple cards mm-hmm. that hadn't been hit yet so we expected some of these like meme cards to get hit a little bit harder Uh, so this one again safe investment because it is reserve list it is casual it didn't go down but it certainly didn't gain as much as you would have thought Uh, i think it's something where if you'd bought a sizable quantity which i think my recommendation was like three play sets but if you'd bought a whole bunch you probably would have been better positioned going into onslaught fetch lands with that same amount of money yeah Say, Bobby.
0: Yeah, it was also hard because I think you made that pick well before we did our episode about the reserve list compared to the Dow and yeah. crypto. And when there's not that kind of extra fundage to throw into something like the reserve list to float a weird pick, yeah, we're not going to see that no. muckery that uh, we have become kind of fam- are accustomed to around certain times of the year. So when that extra fundage retraces, then yeah, we start seeing a lot less float on cards like that, absolutely. So very good point there. Um, the, The next set of cards that we wanted to look at is based on reprintability. And my pick for a card that I did not think would get reprinted, but eventually did, was Lotus Field. That was heading into Pioneer season, so I picked that in January of this year. And the market price on that was 267 it looks like. And right now it is at $4, so if you bought in, there's definitely a, a profit to be made. But because of this reprint, that really did muck up the timeline. And that is something that I, I couldn't foresee but when I announced it, I doubted this would catch a reprint at all because this is kind of a twist on Lotus Bloom, or not Lotus Bloom. Um, Lotus Vale, Lotus Veil. the original one. You know, it has hexproof, so it's extra cool. And other... it was That deck was kind of... I wouldn't say running the Pioneer format, but it was one of the best decks for a while. And we saw... <laughs> decent movement because of that, and eventually, this is the, a deck that became so popular, WotC decided that it needed a challenger deck. And that's kind of where we lost out on this. From that, the Rise of Rakdos is one of the best decks in the format, alongside Mono Green Devotion, and what goes into those decks kind of pushed Lotus Field and that deck aside. And it's only really now that people are coming back around to this deck because sideboard pressure is at an all-time low, but the difficulty level for the deck, which was really the barrier to entry, is extremely high. And it is so high that most people no longer want to learn this deck compared to any others. If you needed to learn a deck for Pioneer, especially with the way the RCQ season was going to happen, the pace of it uh, with the bans and restrictions, into several new sets prior to regionals in your region of the world it did not make sense to spend the mental energy on a deck like lotus field which again has a very high bar of entry from a skill standpoint compared to mono green or rakdos because if you need to make a pivot or one of those decks changes its card base rakdos or mono green that is you already can have such a better foundational understanding of those strategies than something like Lotus Field. So do I expect this to continue to to pick up? Yes. Do I expect it to catch another reprint, though? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be in the next challenger deck. It does not have the meta share, and that kind of did us in for a while. It extended the timeline on this pick by a lot.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things about this pick in particular uh, is something we used to cite a lot early on, uh, and we kind of do as an aside or a joke now, is that there's no such thing as a bad pick, just a longer timeline. Um, This is... Lotus Field is kind of a deck that I liken to KCI. It's a deck that people loved, but they couldn't play. Yeah. Because it was so... The skill ceiling, like you said, is just too high. Mm -hmm. It rewards play skill very much, but... You need to learn know all your lines in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised though if we see over the next couple weeks until we get to DreamHack, uh all of a sudden we have, oh my, Lotus Field is the best pioneer deck after DreamHack or if it wins, and then all of a sudden we start seeing it do a little bit better. Because yeah. keep in mind a lot of LGSs have actually been getting a good attendance for Pioneer, and it's not just because of it being Pioneer Season. Mm-hmm even prior to the pandemic, Pioneer was picking up a lot. And I think that Dreamhack, fortunately, being Pioneer is good for the format overall because people will likely still stick around to the format, uh, especially as they get sick of modern and everything. So it's possible that this sees an even bigger pop. Um, And I think it's very telling that even with the reprint being as accessible as it was, Mm -hmm. because Challenger decks weren't exactly a limited run. Uh, I mean, I think distros still have them. Yeah, you in fact. can
0: still find them pretty easily. I think the mono red one might be the only one that's gone because that Phoenix is in it. Yeah. But, like...
1: but it's still accessible, so there's still plenty out there, and it still saw solid growth on top mm-hmm. of everything, which is just, again, just a longer term spec.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, mine that I went for at the same time, which I cited because of Baldur's Gate. Uh, and it not being there when we got the full spoiler list was jeweled lotus Mm -hmm. so at the time of picking it which was fourth of july market was like 81 ish current markets at over a hundred low at the time was about eh, 81 ish yep right now we're sitting at 93. so this is something that when i cited it i said look this is as advertised black lotus for the format Mm -hmm. every commander deck wants one it helps casual decks it helps competitive decks it helps the whole gamut of whatever you want it's good for you and the telling thing here is that without that reprint we still saw a card that appeals to casuals but has a price point that a lot of people may bulk at yeah uh see very steady solid growth now, this is something that obviously when I picked it, I was like, you don't need more than two or three, really, because you're just going to off them, you know, in trade or retail or whatever to your locals, probably. Uh, if we see any meaningful reprint on this, like if we get a secret layer, uh, if we get something that's not a list printing, I think there is a very realistic possibility that we could see a big retrace on this price. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I cited it i believe i gave a six to nine month timeline and guess what we're right at the beginning of that and we're starting to see even more growth over the last couple weeks here yeah so it's possible that you could get out at even more money over the holidays which is very strange to me (laughs) but here we are Mm -hmm. we're growing still yeah um but this is something that due to the type of card it is you're not going to get a reprint outside of a Commander product, really. Which is why, again, I'd cited Baldur's Gate, Commander Legends is probably your best bet. Instead, we got Dockside, which admittedly needed to be reprinted. Uh, but I can't imagine we're going to see this anytime soon. With one exception, I could see this being the One Ring in Universes Beyond. Okay. In the Commander product. But that's the only spot I see it being reprinted anytime soon. Yep. Uh, there's no doctor who tie-in really that's as iconic to Doctor who that represents like jewelry or a lotus of some kind so uh, this this is one that again sometimes a higher barrier of entry can be good mm-hmm. uh, similar to my time fault pick way 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 back in the day uh, but that that was my second one um, I am kind of surprised it grew as much as it did yeah uh, I think Thought for sure we'd see you know twenty percent growth, but we saw almost forty to fifty percent, which was surprising to me.
0: Yeah, it it was interesting to see that that card just started at seventy five when you picked it, and then just kept going up. I thought yeah. the well had one had run dry on the interest for that card, but it's still moving. Even some of the the higher end versions of it, meaning yeah. so obviously the foils and in set and full art, is that what it's considered?
1: Yeah, cares. the full art. Yeah, yeah and foil or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah,
0: and people are getting their slabs back for mm-hmm. this. So there's still a lot of movement, still a lot of demand for this card in almost every form. And it's kind of heartening to see that this one card could drive an entire product. But I guess maybe also a little disheartening from the Watsi side of things, because that means whatever product you put this in, like Crypt, Vault, and Will, it'll just push it'll inflate the product unnecessarily and it's just kind of a ripcord if they need it. Yeah. And that could also be what it becomes. You know, there is a by the time this comes out, the shareholder meeting will it has taken place, people have disseminated those notes and if as we saw, has needs to push Watsy needs to continue to squeeze that stone, you know, for blood, jeweled lotus is a ripcord that they could pull. To put in one of these supplemental sets The universe is beyond, like you mentioned To just kind of pump those numbers up Because hey, that's what needs to happen make us money,
1: yeah. do the thing
0: Yeah. Poke, walk, poke Jeweled Lotus with a stick yeah. That's it Now, the, the last set of these In our uh, set of three Is an interesting set The dichotomy here Is you're waiting for them to Unban a card I am waiting for them to stop printing This fucking card <laughs> so uh my my card for this for this last set is one that I really hope they stop printing soon so that we could eventually do some work with it and that is Shark Typhoon. And I thought we were finally safe, but then the advent calendar I think happened and yeah. we're going to get a secret layer version of this card. Now, the nice part is is that despite the fact that the stock graph looks like it's a bunch of seesaw, it's actually kind of rope when when you're kind of a rope when you actually graph it out properly and you just do an uh, an average. You're going to see that it's still hovering basically at $11, which is where we picked it. It feels like friggin' forever ago. This is in April. You know, market price was $10.06. Then it is $10.64 now. So, you know, not doing a whole lot because they just keep printing it. Now, the CK buy list on this is also... It's moving about the same clip. Uh, it's it went from five fifty to six, so up at about ten percent, which is you know kind of what we we're a little more than we were looking at. We made some money comparatively if you're looking at the buy list, but again another push on this card means we are just going to sit here and it's going to be flat. I believe I also picked this into modern and the ability to see a control deck there or a control deck in Pioneer. And while some did surface for a time, the modern format definitely shifted. And that is a note I had in a number of my picks, both personal and for the podcast. That format became so warped around the cards Omnath and Yorion that if you couldn't handle the advantage game that those two cards brought to every deck that they were put in, you weren't going to be able to hang in the format. You either had yeah. to compete at that level of advantage or beat them faster than they could get their engine online. And Shark Typhoon et al. did not really play into those plans. With Yorion gone and decks like Indomitable Creativity and Rakdos Scam kind of coming back up, I don't know if that means that there's a place for Azor-style control decks where it's just Drago or what have you. But if there does ever become a time where that is... A deck we can go back to shark typhoon slots into that deck absolutely yep. similarly in pioneer the clock kind of ran out on azor control over the last year when people started to hone in on what rakdos really looked like and at that point in time the format shifted and there was really no home in the upper echelon of that format for a tap out control deck or a pure azor reactive style control deck now even without those in modern commander does have the ability to carry this card into Infinity and beyond, but they need to stop printing this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it. like you and I were talking before we recorded, it seems like it's, oh, it's been a month? All right, Throw Shark Typhoon and something. Mm. Uh, and I remember when that card came out, it was, you know, a couple bucks for a little bit, and then it hit $20 real quick. Uh, and it is still, in my mind, a 15 to $20 card, even though I know it's not. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's surprising to see the meta shifts and how much it has impacted the value of the card, which to me uh, seemed to have a lot of casual appeal for EDH, which again, I guess that's a control card, which is a little bit harder to do in EDH. It's a multiplayer format. You're not going to be able to draw go as much as you may like to. Well, uh, but I, I still can't believe. I think it's one of the best card advantage engines they've printed in years. And, and it's just stop guys
0: please <laughs> i the only thing i want to say is that i don't think this is a control card in commander so the, oh yeah that's the, fair yeah the card metallurgic summonings is not a control card but it's basically the exact same thing as shark typhoon but it has a different activated ability you can't yeah. cycle it for that little bit of advantage you get to exile metallurgic summonings and return all incident sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand activate only if you control six or more artifacts. And that is more of a combo card than Shark Typhoon yep. is. Shark Typhoon is just good in the Spellslinger deck. And so you could build that as a control deck absolutely. You could play it? you could play Azeroth, Mono Blue, with Talrand, whatever you want. Um, I think Shark Typhoon and Metallurgic Summonings lend themselves to a different style of deck than something like Decree of Justice. Yeah. Which I like. That's the card I liken Love more to. Yeah. And uh, Finale of White those are the cards i consider more of control deck style card because you're either making one giant shark when you cycle this instead of a lot of little soldiers or you're hard casting it making a lot of varied size sharks as you just naturally move through your deck yeah that's fair
1: i uh mine is i was surprised by this yeah uh first off before i say anything i do want to get on my soapbox and again ask Wizards of the Coast to free the political prisoner. Uh, Splinter Twin did nothing wrong. Okay. It it existed in a deck uh, that was... Get rid of Pastermite. Okay. Splinter Twin's fine. Just let it out. It's okay. Yeah. There is too much interaction in Modern right now. Modern's too fast for a four mana sorcery. Alright? It's bad. At any rate. Uh, when I picked the card on March 14th, market was 11:56, and boy did it take a shit. Uh, Market is currently $6. Why? Well, I'm a little surprised. Because this card was kind of buoyed by EDH as well. Uh, And obviously it's great in EDH. Mm -hmm. It goes in every red deck as a combo piece with Zealous Conscripts for infinite dudes. Uh, It's just a nice two card, throw it in there and you win. Now, the interesting thing that we haven't seen is even looking at the low graph, you haven't really seen the traditional spikes that come before an expected ban announcement. Mm -hmm. Now we've been in the ban structure that we have for a while now. So if you look at the stocks graph, you can see where they've announced stuff, whatever. What I think actually happened is modern has gotten so unpopular because of how bad the format is that people who are speculating on this are just done or unlike me, they're sick of waiting for this card to get unbanned. Um, And I think that that has played a sizable role in this. And I think it's kind of the inverse of what we saw with you mentioning Lotus Field, uh, where Deck is still around, still exists, and the format is doing well. Modern, despite everyone having it and everyone playing it, I don't know any Magic player right now that complains more about the format they play than people that play Modern. Every Modern event, every single person is like, man, I hate this format, this is garbage. Oh yeah, And yeah. I think that may play into why it has seen such a large drop in price. Because there hasn't been a reprint. We have the list printing, and we have Modern Masters 15. Mm-hmm. And the list printing came out last year. Or no, in 2021. So it's been even longer. So over the course of that time, we've just seen the non-foil kind of just fall. Mm-hmm. Now the interesting thing is that the foil has actually followed suit for Rise of Eldrazi. Uh, we, If you look at the foil graph, same deal. It's just tanked since I picked the card. Uh, it's made me a little bit less bullish on it, for sure. But I still believe in the card. I still think this has a lot of EDH appeal. I still think there is a world in which Wizards of the Coast unbans this card. And I think that this is the kind of thing that they're not likely to reprint. Just because most of the time when Wizards seeks to reprint cards uh, they look for stuff that isn't going to have since the pod ban unforeseen consequences in whatever environment Uh, it's being printed into
0: you can't put this they can't reprint it in standard because you have twin combo in pioneer you have Kiora's follower and bounding crisis which makes this a teamer deck which is very accessible
1: yeah so it's it's one of those. Well, it takes up too much design space for us. So I don't think there's a lot of reprint risk with it. I think it's just a case of look, I, the market sucks sometimes, and sometimes you make a bad pick. Yeah. Uh, so this this was one where I will admittedly eat my humble pie, uh, and I will still go on record as saying we will record an episode of me eating an entire hat. The day Wizards unbans this, because I will be so excited for this card to be legal and modern, that I will eat a hat.
0: Right, that's fair. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll send the hat. Sick. Yeah. I, I like the the look on this in regards to following a trend that we were able to track, which was WotC announces a BNR. Uh, modern is a popular format, so Stone, Stoneforge Mystic, Jace the Mind Sculptor, sometimes GTA and Splinter Twin, maybe yeah. Pod, would all... Those those would be, like, the five easy called shots. Yep. Like, all right, they're going to disappear from the market, and they'll be back in a week or two, usually at a new floor. So to your point, yeah, those are all the, the little spikes that we see. Eventually, js got unbanned, and Stoneforge got unbanned, unbanned but Pod, Gta and Splinter Twin just sit there rotting on a ban and restrict a list that is built for a format that was much slower than the one we have yeah. right now and yeah i do think this is definitely a case where people might have just been tired of buying into the same thing all the time and just say all right f it i'll get rid of the copies that i have to locals for commander or cube or whatever they're going to play because people will pick them up from binders they were they were cheap enough for a very long time and slowly out them for profit and churn and then be done with it and it's Nice to see that we no longer have those reliable trends and speculation on bans and unbans because yeah. that did kind of muck with the market unnecessarily. But it's also sad to see people give up on this card. Yeah. But much like Pod. I I was more of a Pod player than I was uh, a Twin player. And the moment they banned Pod, Splinter Twin, was the obvious next look because yeah. those, were the, those were the decks that kept each other in check. There was nothing else in the format as good. Like Tron would just wave from the backseat, have a nap, and then get up at the next GP. Yeah. Like that was it.
1: Are we there? Great.
0: Yeah. Splinter Twin and Pod were the ones driving that format. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. All in all, I, I, th- I think the, the, the picks that we went through were pretty decent. There's definitely some lessons to have been learned. The majority of mine uh, coming from, like for all my picks coming from, leaning into a constructed format maybe a little too hard without really feeling it out as much as i should have and i think it's definitely something we i, I can look at it and, and improve on moving forward it's not the the most difficult look
1: got anything else or are we good for picks no
0: i think i'm good for picks all right i'm gonna have you go first this time because you're gonna re-up
1: Yeah, I I was going to say, I think you went first last week anyway. So, my re-up is something I actually mentioned earlier this very episode. Uh, Almost a year to the day, I picked Pendrel Mists. Why Pendrel Mists? Well, because of all the reasons I cited for Tika's Dragon. And one more. It's literally Tabernacle on a blue enchantment, which is real weird. Yep. But here we are. Uh, So, if you look at graph, you can see a couple times where the price was manipulated to an absurd high which may or may not have been the doing of the cabal and some of our friends uh and now we are at our new floor of 866. now the interesting thing about this card is again it's tabby on a blue enchantment mm-hmm. so it can't go in every single deck the way tabernacle can but boy is it way less than a few thousand dollars oh yeah much more approachable <laughs> uh, significantly more approachable uh, this is the kind of thing that as stack strategies come and go, as new generals become more popular, as old generals become popular again, uh, there's this whole suite of strange blue cards that are just good stacks effects. Uh, Parallax Tide, Aether Barrier, uh, Mana Short, just all mm-hmm. all kinds of just weird stuff. Um, this just sits in, slides into a very unique role Uh, that is actually playable Mm -hmm. on the reserve list. Whereas Tika's Dragon, while a dragon which has casual appeal, this actually has casual and competitive appeal because it hurts all of the aggro decks. Uh, It hurts anything with creatures and blue decks let's be real, a lot of times they just don't have a lot of dudes sometimes. You may have Talrand of course where you're going to have a lot of dudes. Well Talrand's not a stacks general. Brago sure is. Gabe sure is. And they don't have a lot of dudes outside of their Commanders, Um, which is why I think that this is something that probably fairly decent. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also something that we haven't seen a big spike on recently. Uh, We've seen pretty steady, obviously, uh, but it's something that I think has a lot of room to grow. As you can see, it's been at the $20 price point before. And this is a card that I honestly... There's a world where this hits 50 bucks. I mean, Hatred is a card that really only works with Skithrix, and it hit $50, and it's been steady there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, this has applications outside of just one single general, and I think that's enormous for its playability. I think personally it's just one of those cards that people just forget about or don't know exists. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that someone has said, hey, I want to build a stack CDH stack. And I'm like, well, what colors are you? And they mention blue. And I mention this card. And they're like, what does that card do? Just nobody knows it.
0: Nope.
1: So maybe it's a matter of a content creator getting something out there. Maybe it's a matter of just seeing it at your local game store and seeing someone do something really cool with it, like wipe a whole board. Uh, but I believe in this card. Mm-hmm. I think it's very playable. In terms of quantity, I mean, at eight dollars, well, that's five six copies. Um, that's a decent amount because you're probably going to be outing them one at a time. It's not like this is seeing play in a four of format.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I just think that it's a good pick. It throw it in a drawer, forget about it, check on it later, and I think this one has significantly more upside than a card like Atika's Dragon, specifically because. It's actually playable. Just my thoughts.
0: No, I, I always like it because it, it's a blue card that does something unique. I'm trying to to find this other this blue sorcery, um, that goes with Thassa's Oracle because there's a handful of blue cards that are just like. Not well known, but really good at what they do, but they're not, as. Open-ended as Mist. so there's second chance yeah. that basically only works with Hall of Heliod's generosity it's a card that's spiked for mo- with modern horizons one because it lets you take infinite turns if you have five or less life essentially um, yeah. and then there's a sorcery that just flips your uh, library into your graveyard and I should know it because I play it alongside there it is uh, paradigm shift. Remove all cards yeah. in your library from the game, so you exile them, and then shuffle your graveyard into your library. You can play that on turn two, then you really good. Yeah, Thassa's Oracle, four mana whatever you want to win after there. That's a very narrow card, but it's seventeen dollars right now, because it's a reserveless card, and it has like pretty high utility in yeah. in EDH format around the th- the Thoracle combo, which is a very robust and like interactive way to play the game if you want to do that. Um, personally, I play it in Fainax Mill because I can either mill out my opponents or I can mill myself. Either way, some of these yeah. libraries to zero. And so I play alongside that. And I think Pendrel Miss is at the top of this glacier. And the, the more you dig into it, the more you're going to find blue cards that have less utility but are also really good. So upcycling Pendrel Miss because it's a good card, great. Up Also upcycling because this is a lesson for people to learn in that you can dive the reserve list and find some really interesting things still that are cheap. Also a good lesson. Um, What you got? My pick is also blue, but only partial. It is one-third blue, one-third green, and one-third red. And it is Teamer Ascendancy. So this is a card that has been uh, just kind of floating around my mind, banging around there for a while, and only recently has it started to pick up in price, as we can see according to stocks, really, uh, in June. It started to take off. And so we're finally going to upcycle this into a pick only a couple weeks after I added it to my list. So it's a really quick turnaround on this. Now at the time, Card Kingdom was buying this is at the beginning of October of 2022, Card Kingdom was buying 117 at $2.30. There were 143 nearment or LP copies on TCG Player for 476. As of writing my notes, Card Kingdom was buying 159, so that's an increase of about thirty percent. At 275, which is like a 20 to 25 percent increase, there were 85 left on TCG Player at 472, and as of recording, somebody has slammed a bunch in the Card Kingdom, so they're only buying 126 at two dollars, but they are paying 260 some in credit, and there's still 87 left on TCG Player right now, so. We are kind of running dry on this card. Now, I just have one word in regards to what this does in Commander, as far as playability is concerned, and that word is beef. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what this card does. That's all it cares about. And so far as the format is concerned, I found this really interesting, because if somebody had asked me what this card did, I would say it's an enchantment that says... Whenever a creature with power of four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. That's why I use the word beef. And I would be, like, half right. The other half is the first line of text on this card. Creatures you control have haste. That's really important. This is a haste enabler. With upside. And the slots slots in any gruel-based deck next to Fires of Yavimaya and Rhythm of the Wild as foundational haste enablers of the Wedge, extending out the five-color dragon nonsense, as we see on Rex. Um, also in this kind of, like, gruel foundation for haste is Concordant Crossroads, but regardless of version of that card, it's wicked expensive, so that truly is foundational, but you're not going to see it a lot it, Yeah. just as you're playing casual games. It, it's a world enchantment, and it gives all creatures haste, so it's not the greatest option for people either. But that kind of is a core card of this package. Now, as far as Teamer Ascendancy is concerned, topic at hand, you wouldn't play this in a low to the ground deck. You need, as I mentioned, some beef. But Teamer has you covered there, ensuring that the trigger keeps you flush with cards. It's really yeah. hard to play creatures in the Teamer wedge that don't have power four or greater. You gotta try real hard. Now, the other thing about Teamer is that those cards are rapidly turning into word soup. They're creating incredible value at all levels and stages of gameplay. Teamer cards have a ton of text, so we really just have to cherry-pick the most valuable cards. It is, again, very difficult to make a bad teamer deck right now. These cards have a lot of text. I will show you some now. From the Warhammer 40k decks, the Swarmlord and Magus Lucia Kane, Infinite Words... Surak Dragonclaw, probably the least wordy card on this list. Then Mirim, which leads into our dragon nonsense. Nonsense. Averna, Ur-Dragon, Intet, Scion of Ur-Dragon, Anamar, also not that wordy. But then you have Tiamat. What does that card do? Nobody knows. There's Omnath in here. Three-color Omnath. Which one? Doesn't matter. Right? Teemer is just an incredible shard for this. Now, Timeline. Commander Legends Battle for Ballersgate dropped in June 2022, and with it came a renewed interest in the Dragon Tribe, thanks to Mirim Sentinel Worm. Now, that did set in motion a price increase. We talked about that up top. That plateaued in August and has been holding steady. Now we're seeing supply continue to drain for the market as people look to pick up a card they forgot about for their own decks, as well as rebuilds of the Warhammer decks. That's why I wanted to bring this up. Now we are looking at the Cons version of this card, but of note, there is a Time Spiral remastered version of this card. It was, I believe, the only of the Cons Ascendancies to get an old border treatment, and it comes in foil and not. I'm only looking at the Cons non-foil version here, but the old foil looks pretty neat. If you want to look into that, I'm sure you'll be fine. Now we saw approximately 600 near mint copies move since August 18th. Sorry, since August, 18 orders were for four or more. The largest order was for 12 in the middle of August. At this rate, supply will drain in a few weeks as the market price creeps over $4, with $5 shipping making this an almost $10 card. So, again, that's $4 for the card with $5 shipping. So, it's kind of a hidden $10 card. We're going to get there pretty soon. As it's just popped up on Commander Clash and put in some work there, moving with immediacy to locate your copies either from the open market or your backstock is really highly recommended. As I think we're going to be uh, sorry, we're going to see a, a complete reset in about a month, so that that price is going to go from like where we are right now, four dollars market, closer to ten. Once those four dollars plus five shipping become the new floor. The foil does not look like it's going to stop. And if you have any, make sure to locate them. And if I bring up the stocks graph for the foil, I believe, yeah. So we see a plateau in August of the non-foil, but it just keeps going up for the foil. Up, 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 up. That slope does not change. And I don't think it's coming back. Reprint equity. On a scale of likely to not likely, I would think this is more likely to catch a reprint in a teamer or four plus color commander deck possibly even a draft set obviously non-standard that utilizes the wedges or at least the teemer wedge aside from the name it's extremely easy to slot into a lot of products the reason i don't see this coming back in a standard set is because they kind of ran out the clock on the ascendancy cycle and they like just brought a simic ascendancy in return to return to return to raft. one of those one of those sets had simic ascendancy return to return return to return yeah the nine other guilds did not get ascendancies, as far as I remember. I don't think we're going to get them back in standard sets. They're kind of clunky in that format. They're just kind of dead eggs. And I would expect this in non-standard like we saw with Time Spiral Remastered. So, again, kind of likely to catch a reprint in a commander deck. Outside of that, I really don't think it's going to be anywhere else, unless it's some weird supplemental that wants to be based on wedges. And that's the important part. Gotta be based on wedges. Now, for buy quantity, I think I think this might be more a case study in check your bulk and set boxes and get ready to move your copies than buy in. But if you wanted to pick up a set to trade out to your local commander players, I think that's perfectly fine, but I wouldn't want to dive in too deep unless you're fine sinking that capital.
1: Yeah, I think reprint equity is the thing that's really telling here because... Obviously, the shard names came up in Tarkir, which we're not going to anytime soon. Because uh, we know where we're going next year, and it's Akoria Eldrain, you know, there's no Tarkir on the horizon. Nope. Uh, additionally, the storyline kind of wrapped up on Tarkir, so I don't know when we would get there. I think you're right that if we do see this, it's going to be in some kind of supplemental EDH product, which we just had yep. 40k where shards were a thing. Uh, so I don't know when we would necessarily see it anytime soon, as far as reprints goes. Mm-hmm. It is also, again, like you said, it's just a core to any teamer dude deck. Yeah, uh, Fires, Rhythm, Ascendancy, those are the three big ones. And I think one of the really good things going for Teamer Ascendancy is that it's not just guy Ascendancy. Uh, because Jeskai was obviously insane. Yeah. It got a whole lot of publicity. And everyone just thought the rest of the Ascendancies were just trash. Because they weren't Jeskai Ascendancy. Yes. Because Jeskai was the deck. Uh, and I honestly was surprised at the price of this when you picked it. I thought it was still a sub $2 card. I don't know how many of these I have sitting in bulk. That I'm just like, well, I mean, I guess it's not bulk anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. I should try to do something with this. Because Who knows? Exactly, uh, and it's just very, very telling that that's what we have. Uh, it's it's very interesting because I think this is one of those cards that kind of just fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. People forgot about it, and like you said, it's just been kind of sitting and quietly. People are ordering a lot of it. I mean, a lot of copies sell. It has a lot of appeal both for casual and competitive EDH, and I don't think there is a lot of reprint equity to it. I I think it's super solid.
0: Yeah. Thank you. This is, it is something that also caught me by surprise. Um, like I said, it have been floating around for a while, and by the, so- the time I decided to start tracking it, we were already well into a trend that I like to see, which was a steady price point, and now we're increasing again. We saw the hype train roll in, hype yeah. held, and now uh, this is a place where I want to be moving in. It's um, actually a conversation that was happening in uh, the podcast Discord today. Somebody was talking to me about foundational cards for. Uh, the commander format and a counterpoint was brought up about well sometimes moving faster can be better and well I do agree with that there's definitely uh, hay to be made when the sun's shining and if you want to move quickly and you know you know hustle day trade whatever you want to call it swing trade you can definitely make money there but I like to take a slower approach I like to see solid movement and I want to see prices and sales velocity hold and then once that hel- once that holds and buy lists aren't just reactionarily shooting from the hip to accommodate that's when we'll move in so I was kind of glad to miss the boat on this initially and I think yeah. like I mentioned moving with immediacy now is the way to go because we're seeing the next uptick in price on this card so that's where we want to be we want to get ahead of this yeah for so. sure That is all I have for this week. Is there anything else you got? Good to go. All right. So for at MTG podcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are
1: at thirsty sizzler.
0: And we'll see you next week.